our Royals Review. Later on, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar on to discuss the complications with the return of baseball during a pandemic. But first, we have a special guest. Alec Lewis covers the Royals for The Athletic, which you can find at theathletic.com. Alec, thanks for being on today. Of course. Happy to be here. There's a lot going on in, in the world and baseball within the Royals. So happy to be here. Let's 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 talk about it yeah it's all kind of uncharted territory for for you know not just baseball but for for everything in life and i I don't think we know what's going to happen next and and as we're 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 doing this interview i mean we just had some breaking news this afternoon unfortunately that the royals have had two more positive tests uh for coronavirus brad keller and ryan o'hearn joining salvador perez who uh, revealed he tested positive over the weekend uh and they're just you know a handful of a, a number of players around the game that have already tested positive uh, and those are just the ones that have, have kind of been revealed. Of course, teams aren't really allowed to reveal who has uh, tested positive without the permission of the player. In this case, uh, Salvi, uh, O'Hearn, and Keller all kind of came out with their own statements. What's your impression of like the protocol with those players? And do we have any idea when we can, we can expect them to be like ready for game action again, assuming they recover, which we all hope they do? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, the protocol really, they, they've got to test negative twice. I believe there has to be day span in between those tests. So it'll probably be a while. I, I, I know um, I mean, you mentioned Salvi, who has tested positive. I know the Royals have given him somewhat of a, a workout-type plan. Obviously, health becomes first. Uh, like, like, this virus health is first and foremost, but there's also the physical health element, especially especially because you're dealing with a guy like Salvi who's coming off Tommy John and with Brad Keller, obviously it's a pitcher trying to stretch out for a season. So I'm sure um, similar to Salvi, the Royals will be in touch with Brad and and Ryan and give them whatever might be possible. You know, you mentioned the word at the top and uncertainty, I think is really the, the word that fits best in terms of, um, this entire situation we're talking as as this afternoon i mean hours ago i was at the stadium and, and all things were positive in terms of the royals were having an inter-squad game and uh, there were smiles players were wearing masks on the field and then obviously hours later things flip and you, you kind of see the what can happen in this environment so it'll be fascinating going forward but yeah i think the the most important thing to say is probably you just hope these guys these players that, that Royals fans care about um get healthy and, and stay healthy and get get healthy and stay healthy sooner rather than later yeah we and we've seen already a couple players decide that you know the the, the risk of this season is already not worth it and you know this tends to be like older veteran players uh, David Price the most notable has opted out Felix Hernandez Nick Marcakis I think was the latest for the Braves that said he would, he would kind of pass on playing this season uh, the Royals, you know, they don't have a whole lot of older players. Alex Gordon, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's more at risk at the age he is, but he's got some young ones at home to consider. Uh, I know players like Tim Hill and Jorge, you know, has had uh, some medical conditions. Uh, Jorge Lopez has a young child with a medical condition. Uh, what's your sense on what the players think about playing under these conditions? And is there any kind of apprehensiveness that you've heard of going into the season with these uh, these kind of safety risks at play? Among the Royals, I really don't think there has been that much apprehension, and I think it's it's a collective kind of environment that was built in spring training just in terms of, I don't know, the family-type atmosphere that they obviously speak of and they want to create and they've talked about creating. I feel like it really kind of 
shows itself in this type of environment because they trust each other. And as you mentioned, I mean, not a lot of these guys, you mentioned Tim Hill and Jorge Lopez all have connections to, um, to, to, to people with medical conditions. Tim Hill himself, obviously, uh, is a cancer survivor. Like Whit Merrifield talked about how his wife has a compromised immune system. So there, there are some circumstances at which you could you i mean i'm sure some of these guys have questions but i think the the familiar type atmosphere um that these guys have and the fact that they realize the responsibility they have to each other to stay safe and healthy i think has kept them opting in and 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 i think at the same token by the same token the, the royals players realize and understand why some of these other players have opted out i mean i you mentioned uh, David Price, Nick Markakis. I mean, obviously Freddie Freeman is, is sick with symptoms right now. I think they, they realize the risk, and the Royals have tried not to shy away from that risk at all. I mean, I, I mentioned the intra-squad game today, but I mean, players were wearing masks on the field at every position. Monty, Monty's playing short and had a mask on the entire time. Uh, Nicky Lopez at third for a bit had a mask. I mean, they, they – all these guys had masks on on the field the entire time today, coaches included. And I think that really struck me just in terms of how serious they're taking this because they all want it to happen. They want to be on the field together uh, with the guys they appreciate playing with. And to do that, to give their best, to give themselves the best chance to do that, they're going to have to take the utmost precaution. Well, that's good to hear that the players are taking this very seriously. I know my son plays youth baseball and they instituted a number of uh, safety precautions and like the first game like the players are high-fiving when they're not supposed to it's like no don't do that just like keep your distance and I know that's going to be really hard for major league players I mean what aside from the mask what all have you seen as far as some of the uh, safety precautions baseball is taking to make sure these players are safe yeah you're not seeing any high-fives among these guys at all uh, you're seeing if anything like kind of the elbow bump I, we need like a better name for that probably <laughs> but the, the elbow bump is, is what has been common among the Royals guys. But, I mean, I mentioned masks. I mean, every staffer on the field is wearing them. Um, and, and, and on the field, in this heat, I don't believe it's absolutely mandated that they all and the players all wear them. But even today, I mean, I mentioned the players. Even the guys waiting, like, on the on-deck, I mean, these guys were as stringent with wearing masks and making sure they were distanced, as, as I've seen. And the Royals in general, I mean, they built a, a cage up in in the right, right field bullpen to be able to distance guys and have guys up there while also having guys on the field. So they, they've really, a lot of what they're doing at Kauffman Stadium, obviously they've, they've had to change some things to have 60 guys there for this entire training camp, but they've also incorporated a lot of the social distancing um, and safety elements within that i mean i think they're they're part of the reason why they they're using little k as for for pitcher fielding practices to get guys away from each other so you that you don't have them all congregating together so um ultimately i I think they're they're trying especially with some of this news that has broken in the last few days in terms of testing delay but also just royals players testing positive i think it's just it's reinforced something that may, maybe didn't need reinforcement, but it has reinforced just how serious um, they need to take it. And I think they, they've really bought into it. 
I, I kind of want to see players playing on the little cage just to see what that looks like, because uh, that's really interesting. Um, you know, we, we focused a lot on kind of the safety precautions for the players, but, you know, you mentioned the staff members. There's also going to be a lot of safety pro- protocols for media as well, which has got to pose some challenges on how you're going to cover the team. Talk to us a little bit about what measures I've put in place for you guys and how that's going to maybe affect how you would normally cover this team. Yeah, so for for people who don't know, I mean, when you're when you're covering a, a team day to day, you usually get to a, a game three and a half hours before the game, and then you you go in the clubhouse, the locker room, talk to players, and and with the Royals, they allow us to sit in the manager's office, and we talk to the manager, and then we go to the press box and wait for the game to start, and then go back down there after the game. With this, I mean, everything's different. You start by entering the park, um, you get your temperature taken. And then you, you, you have to have your mask at all times in the park. So the odds that we end up going <laughs> to the park three and a half hours before a game is probably going to be very slim given is it <laughs> wearing a mask for three and a half hours plus the game time plus post game seems to be kind of a, uh, and, uh, <laughs> probably an un, not, it would be necessary, but it would be a bit of a hassle, I think. So. It probably for us means less time at the stadium, also wearing a mask all the time. Then every every interview that we do will will be virtual, be it on Zoom um, or, or by phone, and that's how we've done it thus far. Every interview, every interview we've done has been on Zoom. We start usually in the morning with a, a, a Zoom call with manager Mike Matheny, and it goes from there. And it seems like we've gotten into kind of a rhythm, but it it is going to be an interesting thing to see how it plays out because obviously when you when you're in a zoom conversation with multiple people there's some it just conversation doesn't flow as as it would in a clubhouse kind of siloed in the corner so it'll be interesting to see how it goes i always say though and i've said and my parents have asked me and other people have asked me it's like i mean the opportunity that we have to bring um just the, the the information about the club people care about to fans and readers and subscribers it's something i don't take for granted and so the the protocol is what it is it's something we have to deal with and it's something i think we'll be able to work through because i mean if the players can work through their testing elements and um and people around this country can work through some of the things they work through we as media members the least we can do is work through a temperature check and wearing a mask well at least you finally have like real baseball baseball activities to cover um, you mentioned the Intrate Squad game. We've seen a couple of days of workouts. And I, I think we're all kind of curious, like, how do these guys look? Because it's, it's a pretty long layoff uh, to go from, like, a, you know, interrupted spring training to, you know, months where, you know, some of them may have had limited access to any kind of facilities or maybe not you know, they didn't have anyone to throw to. Uh, what are your, your kind of early impressions from the first couple of workouts and today's Intrasquad game? How do the guys look? Is there anyone that's kind of standing out to you so far in the early days? Yeah, I think the best way to do it probably is to break down, maybe like break it down by tier. I mean, you you have the prospects, obviously, who are here for development. You have kind of the the up and the guys who are hot, maybe in spring training, the people we're talking about, and then the staples. I guess I'll start with the staples, like guys like Whit Merrifield, Alex Gore. I mean, these guys seem to be in the shape that you would probably expect them to be in. I mean, Whit Merrifield took BP the other day. We watched it was about as normal as you could you could probably expect. Uh, looked really good. Alex Gordon looked to be in really good shape. Obviously, that's not going to surprise anyone. And I think a lot of the a lot of the veterans and guys who have been around, uh, they, they look like they were they would be where they would be 
weeks before a season. So I, I think even manager Mike Matheny has spoken and, and the staff and, and front office, they've spoken about how impressed they've been by the way in which these guys stayed ready, stayed focused. And, and you can, you can honestly see that you can see that as you're there. I think um, going down the line, if you look at the guys who are hot in spring training, we saw Josh Stalmont and Trevor Rosenthal, two guys who were talked about often and back in spring training and surprise, we saw them pitch today in the inter squad and, they both looked good. I mean, the velocity was there. The velocity they showed in spring training was there. Um, Stalmont struggled a bit to command the breaking ball. And I, I asked Mike Matheny after, and he kind of, he's like, look, I mean, this heat with this humidity is a bit different. It's, it's, you're trying to get a grip in, a, in an environment that you really haven't. But he, he commended Josh for really working through, um, struggling to command the pitch a little bit. And, 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 to be honest with you, the fastball command was there. So those two guys looked really good. And then to the prospects, I mean, I, Bobby Witt Jr. today faced off against um, – I, I know he got a hit off Tim, Tim Hill toward the right side. He also played infield on the left side at third next to Adalberto Montesi, which was a bit fun to watch. So they've gotten their work in. I saw yesterday a conversation between Nick Prado and, and Terry Bradshaw, the Royals hitting coach, and – they were, they were really intense in their conversation. It was very hitting-specific, and that's one of those things people talk about development during this time, that how often was Nick Prado going to have a full-on conversation with Terry Bradshaw? Um, you, you just don't know. And so I think it can speak to what development can turn out to be during this time. So I think another broad and very overall um, – probably vague, but I think the Royals, to get back to the initial point, they've been very optimistic about the way these guys have stayed focused and, uh, and and ready and have been able to work on things during this time off. Yeah, I think if there is maybe a silver lining, I mean, obviously you don't want to see a pandemic or the minor league season wiped out, but having guys like Bobby Wood Jr. and, and Suli Matthias, who look pretty good in some of the video we saw online, uh, having those guys you know, working with Terry Bradshaw under the tutelage of the Royals coaching staff being alongside some of the veterans who've been there before, that's got to have some positive effect. And I think hopefully they, they're able to kind of uh, benefit from that a little bit. Uh, I did want to talk about manager Mike Matheny. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but he was hired, what, nine months ago? And he still has yet to manage his first <laughs> game as a Royals manager. Um, and so I guess we're all curious to see how he does. You had a really interesting piece this week that kind of went into, it was kind of a deeper dive into Mike Matheny and how he's kind of evolved uh, since his days in St. Louis, which which were successful but a little bit tumultuous at the end. Uh, what did you learn about Mike Matheny and his growth in the last year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I wrote the story, and obviously without having seen him manage games and make decisions with young players and, and sample size and tells everything in terms of, of a full story, but I, I thought it was worth kind of diving into just his his background a bit and what kind of shaped him. I mean, in the, in the year and a half that he spent off time off baseball, he took a analytics class with uh, sports management worldwide and was very um, interested in the class, interested enough to kind of reach out on its own to the professor and have a bunch of conversations that dove into, um, I mean, what decisions Mike Matheny had made in terms of bullpen decisions when he was with the Cardinals. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I, he, he's, He's read a ton of books and, and spoken to a lot of people about kind of this generation's young player and what they respond to and what they need and maybe what they don't respond to. And so I think 
for me, it was just interesting to know that a guy who had I mean, a fair amount of success, right? I mean, you look at his winning percentage and you can argue how it was built and where it began. Um, he had success. It obviously went downhill at the end. And then I think to, to kind of own up to maybe some faults that, that we have in life is not always the easy thing to kind of look face that look in the mirror. So I, I think it impressed me and, and, and was eye-opening to me to know that he went to the lengths at which he did to go spend time out of his life when he can go see his kids and relax after having been in the battles to go take a, a, an analytic. But that's not something that everybody would do. So it was it's interesting. And to your point, I mean, it's, it is crazy to hear you say it's been nine months since he was hired. I mean, it's, it's like utterly unbelievable to, to hear myself say that out loud. But um, it's going to be interesting to see and to, to look back on kind of the, the, the discussions he's had and the, the um, attempts at growth. It's going to be interesting to look back on that as time develops and as games hopefully get underway to see kind of the decisions he makes and, and how they affect clubhouse culture. It, it will be interesting to follow and look back on down the road. And I think um, I can say, though, I mean, to a man, everybody within the Royals organization, players, coaching staff, front office, I mean, they, they've loved the time that they've had with them. And again, as I mentioned, it's early and sample size tells the story. But, I mean, it says something that it's been all positive when, uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't always have to be all positive, right? Yeah, and then, I, you know, I, 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 I was critical of the, the hire at the time. And then, uh, you know, there's there's reasons why, you know, he had, got, earned a lot of criticism in St. Louis. But, you know, he said, since then, he said all the right things. And I think in Kansas City, I think we tend to, we'll, we'll give you a chance, I think, if, you, if you're kind of willing to be, kind of humble like like he has been so far and kind of admit to maybe you know wanting to to learn and grow and, and so I think we're willing to give him a chance and of course he's not going to really be judged by wins and losses initially here in Kansas City since they're they're still kind of you know learning to to win here but um you know like you said it the fact that it's been all positive feedback from the players and and, and they, they've said a lot of things that they frankly don't need to say like they, they've kind of gone out of their way to be complimentary towards him I think that speaks uh, speaks a lot and we'll see how he does well, you know, when they're kind of struggling throughout the season, but but I think initially, I think the the, the returns have been pretty good. Uh, so definitely check that out. The athletic. Uh, is there anything else you're working on for the future that we will uh, want to check out? Yeah, you know, I, I'm I mentioned a couple of the projects. <laughs> it's funny, you mentioned Sully Matthias, so I really should have mentioned in terms of that prospect element. But I mean, you watch guys take batting practice, and whether you are the type of Royals fan to. Um, follow every minor league team or whether you're the type that just goes to the big league game twice a year to have a beer. I mean, sometimes like the crack of a bat or or ball flight of a a baseball can really tell you something. With Suli Matias, I know obviously he's had his plate discipline struggles over the last year and he was injured last year, but I mean, there's only one guy really that, that puts together more impressive batting practice performance thus far that has, and it's Jorge Soler and I mean Suli was in a group with him the other day and they kind of just put on a just an utter performance so I think diving into kind of just the fact that the, the work that Suli's put in is something I'm interested in and uh, there, there's a couple other prospect stories down the line I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Royals do with their their young pitchers I mean obviously you know the names but uh, I mean to, to a to a man from Brady Singer to Tyler Zuber to Daniel Lynch. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And so I think following that storyline is something we will continue to do on a day-to-day.
for sure. Right, it'll be interesting having all those guys in Kansas City for the summer too. I guess that'll give the media and yourself and other reporters a lot more opportunities to talk to talk to them. And um, so, uh, yeah, I definitely look forward to some of the pieces about those guys because a lot of them are going to be part of this future. And uh, I think a lot of the fans, I know myself included, are really excited about hearing from them. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely look forward to that at The Athletic. And, Alec, thanks so much for being part of the show this week, and uh, good luck this season, and, and hopefully everyone stays safe and, and healthy and, and we can see some baseball this year. Yeah, no doubt, Max. The, the day the games do begin, and hopefully they do in a safe manner for everybody, will be a really good one, I know, for, for, for me personally, but for, I think, Royals fans everywhere. It should be a, a fun and, and interesting year and and fun to follow so no i I appreciate you having me max you guys do a good job so um anytime and and we will uh see how this thing develops over the next couple weeks all right we'll take a quick break when we come back we'll talk with sean and matthew about the start of baseball and joining me as usual is sean newkirk sean uh how are you doing tonight good good i just inked a 10-year deal with the chiefs uh for 477 million guaranteed in case you guys didn't hear i i just did that so i'm, <laughs> I'm happy to do this pro bono yeah it's uh i guess that was that's the news making uh, all the rounds today is uh sean newkirk yeah. quarterback of the chiefs um making yeah. a huge deal uh, it's nice to see someone it's nice to see a football player actually out earn a baseball player finally i yeah. guess <laughs> it's yeah. Kind of yeah. crazy they, they never get contracts bigger than in the the ones those in baseball make but i guess pat patrick Mahomes, you know he's a son of a former big leaguer so i guess he gets a baseball contract so Good for him. Uh, also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, what would you do with $477 million? I don't know, but you could practically buy your own Whataburger like, fleet of restaurants, <laughs> right? Like that, With that kind of money, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to beg for it. He can just pay for it and have a butt ton of money left over. So that's, that's the kind of money that half a billion dollars can buy you. He's going to have all the ketchup he can desire. Hey, is he... Is he kind of in line to become the next owner of the Kansas City Royals? Like, you know, Eric Eric Stone Street could be an owner. I think Patrick Williams could be an owner. I think in that sense, right? I mean, no offense, but like, I mean, no offense to Mahomes, it's a lot of money, but it's like Mahomes is going to make a lot of money, but then you've got like David Tepper, who I I don't know what he's, like 10 billion. You know what I mean? He's worth like 20x at this point, what Mahomes is. So like, you've got to be, Mahomes is obviously outrageously wealthy but you've got to be like godlike almost wealthy uh to be the single you know to 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 buy a franchise essentially yeah so i mean he'll have the time he'll have to pair up with maybe like paul rudd and uh you know a couple of the rich comedians see uh yeah. you know eventually buy the royals down the road but uh good for patrick we're all we're all glad to see patrick Mahomes get his money and uh, uh he'll be in kansas city for a long time so I guess not so many people are talking about the royals today but they are back working out the boys are back they're at the stadium. They're doing baseball things. Uh, but noticeably absent from those workouts was Salvador Perez. And Perez revealed to reporters that he had, in fact, tested positive for the coronavirus and would be in quarantine for the next two weeks. Luckily, Salvi has been asymptomatic so far. He hasn't had any kind of uh, symptoms at all. And everyone in his family has tested negative, which is good because he did have his second child with his wife, Maria Gabriela, back in December. So he's got some young ones. Uh, luckily, they have all tested negative and have uh, not had any symptoms so, so far, but Salvi is one of just several dozen players that have tested positive in the initial round of testing around baseball so far. So far, and uh, that shouldn't be too surprising. But we have had at least one player, uh, Braves All-Star first baseman Freddie Freeman, 
uh, suffer some pretty severe symptoms, and at least a half dozen players, uh, most notably Dodgers pitcher David Price, have actually decided to opt out of playing this year, and guys like Buster Posey and Mike Trout are at least considering that as well. And, you know, I, Matthew, I think the idea of baseball returning was kind of nice to think about, but now that we're kind of actually seeing it put into place, um, I, I'm starting to feel a little, um, a little you know, uh, reserved about uh, baseball coming back under these conditions. I guess we have to ask the question, should baseball even be returning while we're in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, I would preface this by saying, you know, COVID nineteen is a is a really serious thing. What is not a serious thing and has struck me as just really funny, and I'll just hit this before we move on, is Major League Baseball was like, we're not going to let anybody know who's tested positive for the coronavirus. <laughs> we're not going to let anybody know, and then like, boom, a whole bunch of people are like, yeah, I tested positive. So that that just strikes me as very funny. Like, of course, you were never gonna be able to keep that a secret but i digress to answer your original point should there be a baseball season you know i think you can make the case that there shouldn't at this point a month ago when everyone was talking about um, what kind of compensation the players were good or how many games you were going to play or what kind of thing what uh, you know all that stuff you know that that made more sense now that we've seen like the kind of peak level stuff that we saw in New York in other states. You know, um, that it, it, it's all it's it just strikes me as very odd that we're talking about playing baseball or being very gung ho about it when we're in essentially the same situation as we were in March when the first thing started. You know, slightly different, but very similar in terms of um you know the the curve is on the upswing more and more people are getting infected and things are closing and now we're playing baseball but we weren't in march which didn't like if you just look at it like that that doesn't make any sense and i think you can make a real serious case that yeah we shouldn't be playing baseball this year what i do think is different is that there has been an awful lot of work put into restarting baseball, right? There's been a lot of, um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of negotiations. There's been a lot of work setting this up, a lot of logistics going on. There's been so much work in, in putting the season on or getting it back off the ground that I think that it's got so much momentum that it's probably going to happen. I know this is, you know, maybe an, uh, in, un, not an unpopular take, but kind of an unusual one. But I really think that like, even if it gets the coronavirus gets like even worse, like there's been so much put into the restarting of baseball that it kind of has to go. Now, if you could make a case that it probably won't finish, which is, you know, certainly reasonable if you uh, think there might be a second case, uh, or a, a, you know a, a second explosion of cases as the winter comes in, like with the rest of the flu season, um, that's that's certainly possible. But I I think ultimately, like for me personally, I don't think that we should be playing baseball right now. Um, however, I think that the season and the league and the players have so much momentum going into it that it's going to be very difficult or impossible to shut down unless the players themselves sort of all agree to say, no, nah, we're not doing this. And that hasn't seemed to be the case, except for a couple of veterans who have already made their money. Yeah, I think you make a couple of really good points. I mean, first of all, you're right. What What has really changed since March? 
we we have seen the number of deaths go down, and I think that was reflected with the closings. But now that we've seen the things kind of reopen, like the number of cases has skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. We'll see if the number of deaths goes up as well. If that kind of aligns with it. If if it doesn't, I guess that's good news. I mean, that definitely is good news. Um, but I think we're all kind of waiting and seeing. But fundamentally, I don't think we know that anything's really changed with the virus itself. It still seems to be as contagious and as, and, and as deadly as it was before. Um, it's just, you know, we put in some mitigation efforts, I think, to reduce the risk as much as we can. Uh, but, yeah, I don't I don't know that anything really different has, has changed enough that, uh, I you know, people should feel that comfortable about baseball returning. It's not like in Korea where they they pretty much have no new cases at this point, or very few at least, and so they were able to bring baseball back and, and uh, even fans back at, at, at uh, a certain point um, and and feel pretty safe about it. Um, I don't know, Sean. It's I, I, when I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think in the abstract, I, th- I thought, yeah, it makes sense to have baseball come back. You know, that things are starting to get better. And I think we always kind of have this, especially in, in sports writers, with sports writers, like, it, you know, you don't necessarily think of these guys as people like they're, they're numbers or you think of baseball players as like almost like a commodity, which, you know, it's, it's, it's really bad that we think about them like that, but, but it does happen. And, but these are real people that have lives. They have families, they get sick. Uh, sometimes they have fevers when they have uh, the coronavirus and to see this actually, to see players actually affected by this. Now it makes me feel pretty uneasy about starting the baseball season. What do you, what do you think about starting baseball at this point? Yeah, I think I'm with you guys and super uneasy about it. I mean, we've already seen the past two days or day-ish that like the MLB didn't even consider the holiday and the weekend was going to slow down testing. And we've seen a bunch of, I mean, several, like actually maybe the Royals have only had really one that I've seen, but we've seen other teams have, you know, four or five with, I think the Phillies had like eight guys or something. I mean, it's just like, there's just so many people getting it, and um, uh, I think it's Nick Cordero is his name. Uh, there's a Broadway star who just died. He's only 41, spent 90 days or whatever in the hospital, lost his leg, all because of coronavirus, and you know, uh, essentially, uh, eventually passed away just the other maybe last night. Um, and so you're seeing guys who even you know don't have any pre-existing conditions, you know, uh, dying from it. Um, and you know, I think I think we've seen the way. I think the negotiation of, from between the MLB and MLBPA has been a perfect kind of microcosm of just how bungled this situation has been altogether. And now they're starting a season um, where people are, you know, still c- catching a virus that's killing people. Um, but, you know, it's so I, I, I'm, I'm not for it at all. And, you know, and we'll talk about the schedule here in a bit, but it's like, you know, like, should we really be risking not just players' lives, but staffers and umpires and everybody that goes and broadcasters, everybody that goes with you know with putting on a major league baseball game, so that we could see the Royals play the Tigers and White Sox, you know, to start the year, um, or you know, finish it out with what is it? Yeah, four games against the Tigers. It's like at some point, it's just not worth the risk, and I, I think we've reached that with a sixty-game season because my big fear is we'll go through all this, people will get sick. Um, have potentially life lifelong debilitations 
for a 60 game season in which people are you know five years from now are going to be are, are going to basically wipe out or, or they're going to say like oh who cares there's only 60 games you know who cares that the uh, astros won the world series it, it, it was a 60 game season it didn't mean anything so we're, we're putting on all of this risk and the reward just seems limited right yeah and and you know i know some people will say like well these are young guys and you know this hasn't seemed to affect you know people under the age of 30 as strongly but you mentioned you know the 41 year old broadway actor died um there, there it seems like lately there's been more deaths or at least severe symptoms to younger people at least at least people in their 30s um as i said freddie freeman has, has had a fever and he's had some pretty bad symptoms cubs pitching coach tommy hotovy who's a kansas city native uh he kind of described his uh battle with it and didn't sound very pleasant at all he's 38 mike Matheny, uh royals manager not not a very old guy at all uh, he had he had the coronavirus and had some symptoms as well, and uh, so it's you know and then you're you're talking about not just them but you're talking about older coaches. Rusty Kuntz uh, was set to be the Royals' first base coach this year. He's going to opt out of the season just because uh, there's too much risk with him being 65 years old. A couple other coaches around the league have done the same thing, uh, and, and a couple players have opted out as well. David Price uh, and I, like I said, Mike Trout's considering it because uh, he has a young uh, he has a, a pregnant wife. Uh, you know, the Royals have had a couple of guys with at least underlying medical conditions. I mean, Tim Hill has had cancer. He has Lynch syndrome, which makes him a little susceptible to uh, colon cancer. Jorge Lopez has a son with uh, chronic uh, Crohn's disease. Uh, but then you guys have guys like Hunter Dozier's got two young kids. Alex Gordon has two young kids. Um, uh, Jesse Hahn is expecting. Um, and I wonder, you know, Matthew, are we going to start seeing more players opt out. I mean, Tim Hill and Jorge Lopez, I mean, they were, you know, Jeffrey Flanagan talked to them and they were like, you know, I considered the options, but, but ultimately I'm deciding to play. But I'm also thinking like they can't really afford not to play. I mean, first of all, you know, they're probably not, a play, neither of them have signed a multi-million dollar deal. They can, they're probably not in a place financially where they can, they, just, they can just sit out. Um, and I think they may still get paid if they have some sort of excuse or some sort of uh, underlying condition like Hill has. But at the same time, like Lopez, if he doesn't, if he sits out this year, baseball might just move on from him. Like he, he's not really in a position where he's like he has a secure roster spot. Tim Hill can't really afford to sit out a year in his career. You know, he's a, he kind of in the prime of his career. So, with a lot of these guys, I wonder how much, how much real choice they have in the matter of opting out. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what's your expectation as far as seeing guys opt out? Do is there, is there a point where yeah. you think we'll see a lot of guys opt out? Yeah, I think I, I think you were right in the sense that it's um, uh, <clears throat> it's the guys who can afford to opt out, right? The um, not Matt, Ke- wait, uh, the gosh, Ian Desmond. I, I'm totally blanking on guys that have opted out. David Price, Ryan Zimmerman, um, right? Nick Markakis, guys who have, you know maybe or Felix Hernandez, maybe guys that aren't at the end of their careers, but guys who have hit free agency, banked. I don't know f- in David Price's case, whatever it was, two hundred and twenty million. Um, over his career, uh, so it's like, yeah, I mean, these guys can afford to opt out. Freddie, uh, not Freddie Freeman, he just came down with it. But I wouldn't be surprised if Freddie Freeman opts out, something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it definitely, and it's it's the perfect it's the perfect example too of how this virus just itself is affecting U.S. citizens because I mean, the people who've been the hardest hit are uh, minorities and and the and you know uh, lower socioeconomic folks who you know have to miss work and so they're late on their mortgage they get evicted you know like it's the same thing with the mlb where it's you know the the guys who just have no choice but to go to work 
Um, same thing, you know, with people who work at those essential businesses who are like, okay, I have to go to work because I just can't afford not to. Sorry, Matt, if I cut you off there. No, that's, you know, I, I think there's two sides of the coin here. I, I think um, that uh, players, um, you know, like Jorge Lopez, um, who are still making the league minimum um, and who are sort of fringe roster spots at best, you know, those guys are in a position where they, you know, are sort of forced to be there if they want to stick around in the major leagues. That is true. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Sean, you were saying earlier that, like, should we make these guys play? I think it is important to at least uh, consider that there isn't like an external arbiter who is saying, boom, this is the decision you must all slay for your, your labor. By and large, baseball players, they want to get paid, yes, which is why they held out for uh, 100% pro-rated contracts, right? Um, but they also just want to play in general. Um, and I think that it is maybe a disservice to the baseball players to say, uh, oh, well, you know, they might get sick. You know, these players know this and they're they're taking calculated risk because they want to play and they want to make money. And it, it just all sort of makes for a messy situation because, yes, on one hand, you have these players who are forced to play um, because they will in all likelihood lose their roster spot and lose their chance to play in the future if they don't. But on the other hand, there are an awful lot of ball players who are like, yeah, we get the risks. We're going to be reasonable about it. We're going to take our precautions. We want to play baseball, and we want to give our fans baseball. So it's it's just a really tricky situation all the way around. Yeah, I think what Merrifield put – I mean, he's been kind of rearing to go on Twitter for a while now, and he, he said that uh, – he told Jeffrey Flanagan that he has an obligation to his, his guys in the clubhouse, and there's part of his family. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure, like, you know, uh, especially for the teams that are contending – like, hey, man, I know this is a serious health risk, but, you know, we have a chance to win a pennant this year, even if it's a, you know, asterisk pennant, you know, that's still what we're playing for ultimately. Uh, so you, you got to be with us this year. It's probably some pressure on Mike Trout. I mean, they, the Angels have a pretty decent, decent team this year with Otani coming back. And, uh, you know, they can't win it. I don't think they can win a division without him. Uh, he's the most valuable player in baseball for a reason. Uh, yeah. So there's got to be that, that pressure. And I think you see it too. I think you see it too with like David Price, who obviously didn't, you know, succumb to that pressure. But like even so, Mookie Betts, it's like, hey, we just gave up a pretty good amount of capital to acquire you. Like, it'd be great if you played, as opposed to just walking to free agency. You know what I mean? We just gave up uh, Verdugo um, to get you. So it's like, man, can you just, can, you know, it's only sixty games, right? Like, it's only 60 games plus whatever, 25 or 30 for the playoffs. It's like, you know, come on, just play. But, yeah, I mean, like, you could see guys that are succumbed to kind of those external pressures just because of the organization passes those down. So, I mean, I think, Matthew, you're right that they're, no matter what, they're going to start this season. Like, they, they've just invested, like, too much into this season not to at least give it a good college try. But if you were to guess, like, how I – mean, first of all, do you think they finished the season – and what's it going to take for them to, to kind of pull the plug on this thing? I I actually think that they'll finish the season. Um, you know, I say I say this because although we're looking at our like second bump, um, I you know we we being the United States just corralled the first bump, and it was a st- it was a still you know it was a big deal, and obviously we didn't corral it enough, right? But we corralled it enough. 
um, such that people start, you know, places started opening up. I think that this is probably the, the next couple of weeks are probably going to be the worst it's going to be until winter. And if the United States can get its stuff together enough to sort of keep baseball, keep the lights on, so to speak, um, I, th- I, think ba- I think we'll finish it, uh, it being the season. As to your question of what would stop, like what would make them stop, I think a couple of things could happen. I think the most likely thing that would stop the season is a multi-team um, sort of uh, outbreak, right? So if we have multiple teams where we have five to ten guys who are out or more, um, then I think that could be just a sign to put put it on pause, right? Until until that sort of works through, or even to stop. But you know, it's 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 really hard to say. But I think that's the most likely thing because that doesn't take you know that's not reliant on thousands or millions of people to happen. That's just if sixty guys, if there happens to be an outbreak within a couple of different groups of sixty guys, and it's severe enough. I think that's the most likely thing that could halt the season is coronavirus penetration, not within a community in the United States, but within specific teams. Well, think about the, and I know, you know, winning baseball games at that point would be quite secondary, but it's still pretty important to the guys playing. Can you imagine a team that like has a major outbreak, some of their star players have to miss out and they're just kind of playing guys from the minors for like a week or two. And, uh, you know, th- that they suffer in the standings. And then a couple weeks later, like the Yankees and another couple and a couple other teams have big outbreaks and baseball's like, OK, we've got to pause the season. I mean, like, I'd be pretty upset. Like, they, that would seem pretty unfair. I mean, I think you're right. I think they would they would probably have to do something like that. But like, I'd feel pretty cheated. <laughs> like, you didn't pause for us. But now you're going to pause for the Yankees. I mean, there's a whole bunch of like just thorns that baseball's going to have to navigate like. When do you press pause on this thing? When do you just pull the plug on it? Uh, I don't know, Sean. What do you, what do you what is your expectation on how many games? Like, how, are we going to finish the season? And what's what's it going to take yeah. to get through the season? Yeah. What if what a shame it would be if they went through all this time negotiating <sighs> and these players, you know, contracted COVID, and then like they only get twenty games in. And, and don't get me wrong. Yeah, they should not be. Uh, it should be regardless how many games to play. It's always about the safety of the players. What I'm what I'm trying to say really is that it's like they go through all this, you know, put people's risk lives at risk, and it's like, oh well, we only got to 25 games in the season or something like that. It's like, well, okay, so you probably shouldn't even play it at all. Um, I don't know. You know, they they went all that time negotiating. Gosh, I don't. Like part of me is like, oh, they're gonna play the season fully. Like they didn't just go through all this for nothing, all this negotiation for nothing. But part of me is like, man, are they? They have to realize at some point if things get so bad, they they have to cancel. But it really doesn't seem like they give a shit. Um, like what happens? Uh, like they've been like the least. They've had their stuff together the least amount of any or any professional sports league so far. Um, they don't seem to care about player safety necessarily. I mean, shoot, they just extended netting not that long. I mean, they still some stadiums don't even have full netting. So, I don't know. I think part of me wants to believe that they're going to be smart. And you know, if things get bad, they're only going to well, things are already bad. But if things get worse, they're only going to do 25, 30 games. Okay, this is just unnecessary. But the the bigger part of me says there's no stopping this train. 
I, and we've already seen some some hiccups early on with the testing. Uh, you kind of alluded to that earlier when you know there's some delays in getting the the test results to the lab. And I mean, uh, Chris Bryan was saying that it's been like a week since some players were tested, which they're supposed to be tested every other day. And and I'm also wondering, like you know, Salvador Perez tests positive for coronavirus, and he's supposed to quarantine for two weeks, and they're supposed to go back and like check everyone he's had contact with. But you know, if that's the whole team, like. Do you, I mean, what kind of safety protocols? I guess you just test all of them and, and see how it goes. I, yeah. I mean, if there's a widespread outbreak, it can spread pretty quickly. And we've seen the Dallas MLS club, they were supposed to play in a tournament this week to start the season, and they've already bowed out because <coughs> they've had too many positive cases. I'm wondering if there, if there would be like, you know, not even baseball stepping in, but like a team just saying, you know what, we've got 15 cases in our clubhouse. We're going to shut it down and forfeit yeah. these games because we just can't play. I yeah. don't know if that's going to get to has, that point. Has there been any, um, and, you know, if this is off topic or gets to, you know, obviously none of us are epidemiologists here. Um, has there been any concrete evidence on whether or not you can get it the second time? That's that's something I haven't been following along. It seems like it's very much in, in uh, they, they don't know, I guess is the short answer. Uh, okay. I think I've seen that there they think that there have been some people but then that have gotten it a second time but also that that might those might be false positives or that there hmm. might there might be immu- you might get immun- uh, immunity from it but only for a couple yeah. months okay uh, but i think there's just a lot i was just thinking of, i'm thinking but, of all these like 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 perez like he has it then he's mm-hmm. got to go back and maybe get it again you know and right. he, he 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 beats it the first time but maybe he doesn't beat the second time you know what i mean like yeah. it's like man why are we exposing to this guy if you can get it a second time like it's it's obviously the age and you know pre-existing health of someone matters, but it's like there's only so many times you can kind of dance in the you know rain and not get hit by one of the drops, right? Like I wouldn't want to get it ten times, even though I'm 31 and in good health. Like I don't, I'm not going to risk myself ten times getting it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully things are they. You know, we we don't have any bad symptoms and and we can kind of get through the season uh, because I'd like to focus just on baseball. I'm kind of tired of talking about communicable diseases. Uh, so, you know, there is, there is a schedule that's out. MLB did a big uh, schedule release uh, on Monday. So what's funny is that they did a big show about it. They revealed each team's schedule. They skipped over the Royals, which tells you how relevant the Royals are right now. Uh, but the 60 game schedule did come out. The Royals are open. will open the season July 24th against the Cleveland Indians in Cleveland. Their home opener will be July 31st against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, not a, you know, it's, it's a pretty standard schedule, I guess. I guess it's a 60-game se- season. They're going to play 40 games within the division and then 20 against the National League Central, and that's it. You won't see the Red Sox. You won't see the Dodgers. You won't see the uh, the uh, Rangers. Uh, Sean, is there anything that stood out to you from the 60-game uh, se- schedule? Um. No, nothing really. <laughs> um, I mean, because we already knew what it was, right? We already knew the the lineup and who they're going to play, like with the new set schedule of the playing the NL Central plus the AL Central. Um, we usually, I usually like to go since it's what is it? Every six years, I guess is the math. I think it's every six. Um, I like to usually go up to Chicago to see the Cubs play play the see the Wolves play the Cubs at Wrigley Field. We went last time there at Wrigley. Um, would have loved to go again, but you know I'm obviously not going to do it uh, this year. So that's the only thing that's a little disappointing. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to play the <laughs> the Tigers and White Sox. You know, whatever it is, twenty times. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's some I guess a few quirks like you don't play each team an equal amounts at home and on the road. 
And so, like, they play the Brewers in Milwaukee, but the, the Brewers won't be coming here. I think there's, like, an unequal they, – they, they host the Pirates, but they don't go to Pittsburgh. Some of the uh, American League Central teams they play, like, they'll play, like, seven games at, at their place, but only three games here. So there's some, some quirks. But, but, Matthew, looking at the schedule, are you penciling in the Royals for 50 wins yet, or how's it going? <laughs> Well, I mean, the one the one sort of saving grace for the Royals is that it's not like the American League Central is a powerhouse of, of teams. Uh, they play the White Sox and the Tigers a lot, and if you if you really, uh, I think they play them like seven times in the first like ten to fifteen games. So, like in a season in which a hot start is really important, the Royals, you know, kind of got a nice, uh, you know, a nice present in that they can face some of the worst teams in baseball right off the bat. Of course, they are also one of the worst teams in baseball, at least considering uh, last year's record. So, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword there. But, I, you know, if, if the Royals are going to get out to a good start, I think the schedule is nice to them, right? Like, it didn't slap them with a bunch of games against the Twins and the, and the Cubs right off the bat and the, and the Cardinals. You know, it, it gave them some, some nice, you know, reasonable opponents. So that's sort of the one... Um, you know, uh, good thing about the schedule, but also, like Sean said, we already knew what was happening. the The fun thing about schedule reveals, um, when uh, in normal seasons, in the before times, as it were, um, is that you don't know who they're going to play. So you look at the schedule, like, oh, you know, cool, they're playing the Mets or whatever. And but we all knew who they were going to play beforehand, so it was kind of anticlimactic. Well, on that schedule, we may get to see uh, the, some prospects come up for the first time this year and make their major league debut. What a weird season to make your major league debut, like in front of no fans and with social distancing. But the, the Royals do have some minor leaguers that uh, could be worth checking out, Matthew. And you wrote an article this week about some of the guys we might see. Who do you think is most likely to come up and make their major league debut with the Royals this year? Yeah, so um, so I split it into tiers. Um, so in the in the top tier, the the most likely tier in my opinion, I have five guys. I have uh, Brady Brady Singer, Tyler Zuber, Daniel Tillo, uh, or is it Tio? I don't know. Uh, Nick Heath and Foster Griffin. Um, so I think those are five of the most likely. Um, Brady Singer because the Royals sort of really love him. He's pretty polished. He's almost certainly better than at least. The, anybody who's not in the top four rotation slots right now. Um, just because the Royals don't have a lot of good pitching depth uh, outside of their, you know, their their legit starting pitching prospects. Uh, Zuber and Tillo were both in camp um, when, it, when you know, the, the season shut down uh, for the first time. Um, hopefully the only time, but you never know. Um and those guys are relievers who probably will find a spot on the team at some point just due to arm injury attrition rates and coronavirus stuff, um, which I think doesn't hasn't been talked about enough in terms of like the impact that it'll have during a season. So if somebody gets sick, they'll have to have two negative tests uh, and not have uh, a, a fever for 72 hours. So, I mean, that, that's like at least one week um, that they'll be out, maybe longer if they, you know, can't get the two negative tests in a row. Um, so, so I think for some positions, we could have more people making their debuts than usual. And so being in the bullpen, which is the most, uh, you know, swappable uh, position, you can just swap bullpen guys in and out easily. 
Um, and then Nick Heath and Foster Griffin, both of them are on the 40-man roster, which uh, means that the Royals don't have to make a roster move. They don't have to release anybody in order to have them play a major league game. Um, unlike the, the previous three, um, which will have to be added to the 40-man roster before they can play a game. So that's just another hurdle, you know, a logistical hurdle. Uh, historically, Dayton Moore teams uh, have emphasized what they call inventory, which is keeping players around and not releasing guys unless they, you know, are sort of forced to. Um, so that's a hurdle that Singer and Zuber and Tillo have that Heath and Griffin don't, who are both already on the 40-man um, and are, you know, major league ready, both of them. Uh, the next tier, I included Jackson Kowar, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, and uh, Kyle Isbell. Um, none of them are on the 40-man, but the Royals like them a lot. Um, and should a couple of starting pitchers go down with injuries or the virus, um, you'll probably see them dip into that second tier of pitcher, uh, that second tier of pitchers. Um, notably, uh, Bobby Witt, Suli Matias, and Nick Prado are in the summer camp, the 60-player summer camp. Don't expect those guys to make um, the the roster or to make their debuts this year. They're basically in summer camp so they can continue their development because there's no minor league season, right? So if you want these guys to uh, continue developing their skills, and they're all really important for the world's future, um, they sort of have to be in summer camp. So they're there to learn. You know, they're the interns of the group, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and it's so they'll, they're just going to be learning this summer, and I, I don't expect them to, to make their debuts. And if we get to a point, this is speaking to what we were talking about earlier, if we get to a point where the Royals will need some of those guys to make their debuts, the uh, we won't have a baseball season anymore. It will have stopped. So, um, yeah. Uh, there are a couple of other guys. Um, if you're looking for like a sleeper, um, somebody like MJ Melendez or Sebastian Rivero could make their debuts because they're both catchers and catching is such a specific skill set um, that they could they could make their debuts if there's a couple of injuries further up in catchers. So that could be kind of fun. Um, you know, fun as much as fun can be during coronavirus times, but um, they're, they're the sleepers to watch out for if you're looking for those. I like the, uh, the, re- the reference of, of calling them interns. I like, I just like thinking of Bobby Witt going to get Alex Gordon's coffee each morning and getting those TPS reports. So uh, I'll, I'm going <laughs> to start calling them interns. Uh, Sean, is yeah. there, is there anyone that, on that list that you think you're, you're looking forward to most or that can maybe be, maybe, maybe a sleeper that you have uh, to make his debut this year? Um, no, I mean, like you, you just really have to look at the, um, the, the pitching crew, I guess we can call it, um, the co the coars and singers and lynches. I, I, I think I would put it singer coar Lynch in that order of like, who is most likely to debut. I, I think, I think you're almost certainly going to see singer debut coar probably Lynch. Yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but um yeah I, I think that about grabs it um i'm trying to think of there's nobody crazy uh, did you say stephen woods i don't know why i keep this is like the second time i brought him up recently i don't know why i keep thinking about him did you say stephen woods jr matt no i didn't um okay. but he's a rule five guy i guess yeah yeah, I don't really consider him to be a prospect per se because of that. But he is on the 40-man, and if the Royals want to keep him, they have to 
play him for 60 yeah. games. But if they really like him, I mean, keeping him on the roster for 60 games is a lot easier than keeping him on the roster for 162 games. So that could be something in his favor. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get through the season without too many uh, issues and, and to see some of those players. Because I would like to see, uh, you know, Singer and, and uh, Jackson Coar actually is who I'd, I'd really like to see go out and hopefully get some major league action. Maybe even Daniel Lynch for an inning or two. Probably not Azel Lacy so much. It sounds like he won't be up this year, but... Um, but I think there could be a few guys that will make it worth tuning in to see the Royals this year, and hopefully we see them come in and have uh, have good debuts. Um, let's kind of wrap things up, I guess, with our reviews this week. Uh, Matthew, why don't you start us off uh, tonight? Yeah, so I think um, first first off, is either are either of your reviews going to be Hamilton? No, I've still have never seen no. Hamilton. I heard it's pretty okay. good though. So so my review is going to be uh, so Hamilton. Uh, if you've lived under a rock for the past five years, is the well one of the biggest, I guess pieces pieces of like the biggest creative works uh, to have come out of Broadway in a long time, and it's just sort of one of those works that is sort of transcends its medium. Um, so it's a musical, um, and it kind of gets a reputation as being like the cool like rap hip hop musical. Like in reality. 70 to 80 percent of the music is standard musical like rock musical fare um with you know drums and keys and and that kind of thing um there is some rap there's some hip-hop elements of it but there's a lot of other elements that sort of doesn't get touched on as much like there's some jazz and blues elements that you know that pop up here and there um but so it's if you haven't seen it on disney plus um it came out um, their recording of it, which happened um, 2016, I think, summer 2016, uh, with the original cast. Um, that recording is now available um, on Disney Plus uh, to watch. And if you haven't watched it, I would really recommend it. Um, in part because it's really like a it's a really great show, um, and you know it it's one of those things where like it's hyped, but it's really good. Like there's a reason for it. Um, it's really good. Um, uh, you'll probably like it. Um, so I watched it with a bunch of people who are not like big musical fans necessarily. Um, and they all liked it, um, over this, this past weekend. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't like musicals. Um, but you have ended up liking it. But beyond that, I think like (laughs) there was uh, some conversation about this in the Royals rumblings. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's worth it at least just to expand your horizons and watch, uh, stuff and experience stuff in creative mediums that you are not necessarily familiar with. Um, you know, I am not a person to be like, oh man, musicals are my jam. However, I think that, you know, learning to enjoy something like a musical or like a, a stage play or like an opera, like a ballet, um, those things, um, you know, there's a lot of really great creative works that have been um, created, written for those mediums. And I think um, to just sort of say, oh no, I don't know musicals. You're kind of doing yourself a disservice because there's a lot of great stuff uh, that has been in musicals. Uh, There's a lot of great operas. There's a lot of great stage plays. Um, And I think it's worth it to step out of your sort of comfort zone and experience some of the stuff because, you know, some of the greatest works of art in history uh, are in a medium that you are unfamiliar with. And this goes for everyone. So, um, So first I would suggest um, watching Hamilton, it's good. But second, you know, watch um, a musical or a play or an opera or a ballet or something that uh, is outside of your realm 
of uh, you know normalcy in terms of media consumption. And you might be surprised because uh, there's a lot of great stuff that has been written for those mediums. That's great. Yeah, it's it's definitely gotten great reviews. Uh, my sister actually was just texting me yesterday that she finally watched it for the first time and she was raving about it. So um, I, I definitely want to check it out this week. And uh, now that it's on the Disney Plus, which we already have, I will make it a point. And I, my oldest son is actually a good age where he can probably watch it. Uh, and we're not too, because I know there's a little bit of language in there, but that I think Disney actually censored or, or kind of cut out a little bit. But um, Yeah, so there are, there are like, um, there's a couple of shits in it. Um, then there are a couple of F-bombs, but um, they got cut. Um, in order for it to retain its um, it rating, I guess. In order, I, I, I don't know. For in order for it to to something, I don't remember yeah. because but it's, Disney Plus. But so so there is some language that has been cut. So um, it's, it's it's not, not it's certainly not like a cuss filled show. Yeah, it's not being. But it's I get I don't see what the ramifications are because if it's I don't see what the difference between it being PG thirteen and R is because it's not being released in theaters. So it's it's not as if right. they have I mean, to, you know. Well, it's Disney though. Yeah. They they want to protect their brand. They they actually censored uh, the old nineteen eighties eighties era movie Splash because that movie shows yeah. Daryl Hannah's bare bottom. <laughs> so they they try to keep it clean, and I understand that. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's something I feel I still feel comfortable watching that with my son. And he's they 12. did it he's for 12, so. some reason. Yeah, they've uh, got a whole bunch. Uh, Pretty Woman is a Disney movie, and they say the R word in that. All anyways, all right. I'm not going to get into it, but <laughs> uh, Sean, what do you have for us this week? Um, you know, I, I've watched a couple new things, but they've all basically stunk. Um, so I'm <laughs> not going to get into that. Um, I am rewatching the. I'd say one of the. I'd say one of the best. It's one of the best HBO shows recently and it's on pace i keep saying it's on pace to be one of the top five hbo shows ever um i'm re-watching secession season two um just such a fantastic show all around um every single thing about it from the acting to the writing the directing the just the sense of the show is great the soundtrack is quirky but it's like <laughs> it's it's like a rich person sound sounding soundtrack it's just it's just a fantastic show. Uh, it was renewed for season three not that long ago, and they're just working out how to film season three at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, Succession, I, I can't, I cannot recommend it high enough. It's so fantastic, and it's just like it's just so fun to just watch these rich, spoiled, you know, kids just fight with each other, and it's hilarious. And uh, it's it's such a kind of a cool world, I think, to live in. This ultra wealthy, um, you know not caring about anybody but yourself, but, you know, trying to just power climb. It's just a great show. And then Cousin Greg, for those who watch it, Cousin Greg <laughs> is the best character on TV. There's there's no doubt about it. Cousin Greg is great. Uh, that that show, it, it's kind of hard at first. It took me, I actually dropped yeah. it after two yeah. episodes and said, like, you know what, this show is not for me. People kept raving about it. I picked it back up, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I'm all in. Because initially, you're just like, these people are all terrible. I hate them all. And and you and you still do throughout the, the, the season, throughout the, the the two seasons but i think it's just the way they're hateable i think is just yeah. very entertaining and very funny and i feel like some of them at least are going to get their just desserts eventually but oh, uh, yeah. even if they don't i mean that's kind of the way life is you know? so yeah it's that's a terrific show I, it took me a while to get used get warm up to it but it's it's a it's a really entertaining show to watch so yeah succession on hbo um mine i guess is kind of along that vein i don't like to recommend like negative stories uh, but I was really enthralled by the uh, article this week uh, at Vulture about Quibi, which 
I don't know if you know what Quibi is. There were like a million ads for it back in the winter, uh, but it wasn't really clear what it was. And it's it's a streaming service that is only available on your phone that has episodes that are 10 minutes long of various shows, which I can kind of see the idea behind that. But the way they implemented it, it's behind the people behind it are Jeffrey Katzenberg, who uh, has a long history of, of success you. in Hollywood, um, and Meg Whitman, who had success at HP. Um, and they took on this new venture, and man, it is just severely flopped. Uh, they gave they gave away like three months free with uh, uh, I think T-Mobile phones, and that's about to expire now. And they're expecting about uh, two thirds of those people at least to to drop the service altogether. And once they start asking people to pay for it, I mean the the article estimates about half a million people will, will pay for it, which is far less uh, than the, what they were expecting when they initially started this up. But it's uh, it's an amazing article of, of about hubris and, and conflict and micromanagement. Uh, you know, I think it seems like the time was ripe for a streaming service to succeed with the coronavirus and, and everyone staying home. But for, for numerous reasons, and they, they kind of outlined it in the article really well, uh, it just flopped from the, from the get-go. I mean, the, the one telling thing is that like 70, 70% of the people they polled in one study didn't know Quibi was a streaming service. They thought it was, a, you know, after watching the commercials, they thought it was a food delivery service. So that's that's part part of the up, uphill battle. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a really big swing. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, and I I don't know. I don't like engaging in Schadenfreude that much, but there's something kind of satisfying about seeing someone rich with a lot of hubris fail so spectacularly. Uh, and you know maybe Quibi will bounce back, but uh, it doesn't look good for now. I'll yeah. end on a high note though, real quick. Just uh, I did want to applaud the Royals. A lot of teams and companies have been kind of beating their chest about social justice lately, but the Royals actually went out and had a voter registration drive last Friday at the Urban Youth Academy, and I did want to salute them for that, and I do think Dayton Moore has, has taken a lot of steps to uh, start a conversation which is much needed around baseball, and I did, so I will end on a positive note and say uh, kudos to the Royals for what, for what they've been doing. I was going to add in there real quick, uh, as far as Quibi goes, um, uh, you know what venture capitalists have learned from this, from Quibi failing? Nothing. They are going to keep <laughs> yeah. money companies that fail, just like Uber Eats and Postmates just got together. Both of them have spent hundreds of millions and billions of venture capital money to make no money. So it's a it's a great system we are going on there. Oh, they raised an enormous amount of money at Quibi too. Uh, so that's that's money that's that's gone. I don't think they're getting that back. So uh, yeah, so. Uh, and I'll, it's, it's, again, the article is over at Vulture, but so definitely just called "Is anyone watching Quibi?" So definitely check that out. But uh, uh, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks again to Sean and Matthew for being on the show, and thanks again for Alec Lewis of the Athletic for being on today. And thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. We'll talk to you next time. Hey!